to another edition of the Royal of the Lions UK podcast, episode 168, 500 baby. My name is Matthew Turner, alongside co-host Tom Wilkinson. How are you doing, man? I'm good. 500, what a feeling. <laughs> first time since week two, the Lions have been 500. First time since the Cold War era that we've been 500 in December, I think, if my memory serves. It's Rough. Actually, no, maybe maybe down the stretch we did get near 500 with Patricia once. I'm not sure. I haven't researched that, but yeah. I'm just sure that we must have had losing seasons every time and come... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't research that at all, I must confess. Anyway, never mind. We'll crack on. This is the Lions at Jets review show. Uh, just a bit of preamble to start with. Our Discord channel is getting hot as the Lions are down the stretch. Please do come and join us. On there, I'll put the link to join in the live chat of both Twitch and YouTube right now, if I can find a brilliant place to do it. Excuse me. College Football Podcast was last week. They were talking about bowl games and doing pick watches. They were talking about um, the Heisman Trophy, and also they did some reviews of some players that they were asked to do. They're taking a week off this week. It's Ant's birthday on Wednesday. I'm sure you'll extend to him your best wishes, especially with Christmas just around the corner. If you have any players, because of course the draft, even though the Lions are doing well, is still front and centre with that Rams pick. If you have any players that you'd like Ryan and Ant to profile, then please let us know. They're always happy to go and do that, but a week off for them this week. Please don't forget to like the show, the episode on YouTube, sub to the podcast, review, rate, all that good stuff that you can do. You know it helps us out. And Lions Nation Unite as well. Download the app there, Herman Moore's project, to bring the best in Lions content creators from YouTube all together in the same place. Dose of Dion, Micro Mike, Lions on the Prowl, and us, we're all there. And we are a Twitch affiliate. If you have an Amazon Prime subscription, you're not currently using the free Twitch Prime sub that you have, then please consider chucking it our way. It doesn't cost you a penny, but puts a little in our pocket to support the show's ongoing costs are much appreciated if you can do that. Hey to everyone in the live chat. If you've got any questions as we're going through, please do put them in and we'll get them in the show. Any comments about the game or anything that you thought, would love to hear from you. Bit of news to start, Tom, and we touched on it in the pre-show. Minnesota have clinched the NFC North after the biggest comeback in NFL history. Let's just talk about that game a little bit. I know you haven't watched it live, but what a game and what an epic Epic fail from Matt Ryan and the Colts. Yeah, who who could have seen it coming? There's no previous famous storylines of Matt Ryan giving away a huge lead in a big game. So, uh, yeah, who, who could have ever seen that? No, I mean, you've got to say fair play to the Vikings, really, as much as I hate to. I mean, you, you mentioned that they they kept their composure even in the third quarter. There wasn't uh, there wasn't panic in terms of the, the play calling or even tempo by the sounds of things. So to come back and do that with the crowd on your back, obviously, I mean, fair play to them. And especially given, I mean, they've played horrible football over the past few weeks. So 
shows some character. I still they're going to get dumped out of the playoffs uh, very early. But yeah, I, I, I respect what they did. Yeah, I mean, it's just a ridiculous game. I, I couldn't even believe it. They were they had they didn't score um, any points until halfway through the third quarter with four and a half minutes to go. They were still 15 points behind like it just absolutely beggars belief. But watching it, I was utterly convinced it was going to happen, and and it did. You know, you could just see the writing on the wall for the Colts. It couldn't get anything going when they really, really needed it. A um, little bit more news. Craig Reynolds has been activated from IR, which is great news for him. Although he's going to need a bit of luck to get back on this team, I think, because Justin Jackson is playing out of his skin at running back three. So there we go. Corresponding move on the roster to make room for Craig Reynolds. The wide receiver extraordinaire Tom Kennedy has been waived. No word, at least that I have seen, whether he's been re-signed to the practice squad as yet. I mean, I thought that would be inevitable. I haven't seen him be claimed, and I haven't seen him come back either. So a little bit of surprise, Tom, perhaps? Yeah, so I didn't see that either. And like I say, I, I may well have just missed it. I would assume he is going to come back. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's... A, it's a bit of a tough life for him, right? He He's a fan favourite. He obviously has these big preseason games and has made important catches during the regular season too, but it just feels like it's never quite going to happen. I mean, if I was him, a bit like um, a bit like David Blau, to some extent, I'd start thinking about, do I look elsewhere in the next season? Because it doesn't feel like he's ever going to establish himself here. So... It's one of those things, you know, whether the grass is greener at that level. If you yeah, if you enjoy the graft, do you think you're playing at a level where you're still being valued at what you do and you'll get your chance to shine for a few games and you know that when you hit the active roster and you're active for a game, you get $80,000 or, or whatever it is and that's going to do you for, for an entire year as long as you get one active game and you know the line's going to give you that chance every year. It might be better than sitting on someone else's practice squad for the entire year if they don't know what you can do. I don't know, like someone with that level of ceiling and everyone knows it, you know, are you going to go to Minnesota like Blau does and just definitely not do anything? Like, I think Blau was on a practice squad and got claimed by someone else, didn't he? I'm not sure. Wouldn't surprise me at all, though. I mean, ultimately, these guys are such competitors that I imagine they're always going to bet on themselves rather than kind of stability. Um, and now, if you, I mean, if you look at where the Lions were and where they are now, that receiver room is deep, um, and there just aren't enough snaps to go around. So, uh, yeah, I could see him going to a place potentially with a young rookie quarterback or something like that, building trust that way and just becoming kind of the guy, the trusted guy. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. Obviously, I'd love to keep him here, but uh, and I know most of the fans, all of the fans, I'm sure would too, but... I wouldn't be surprised to see him maybe look at something new next year. The guys in the Twitch chat backing me up, Dan Pass, Gan Quirky Zerky, both confirming that Blau got claimed by Arizona when Kyler Murray went down. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was sure I'd seen something like that. Um, what else do we have? Uh, cool Down Rat also in the Twitch chat said that Cephas is in 21 day eval as well. So if he comes back, then a wide receiver comes in and someone else has got to fall. I mean, I'm not even convinced they'll activate Cephas with what's happening because who's bottom of the wide receiver depth chart now? Is it Raymond? Might be Raymond. And, like, you're not dropping him. There's no chance. So mm-hmm. so maybe maybe you make room by cutting someone else, but I can't imagine who it might be. I mean, 
I wouldn't be cutting any of the edge players right now. I think everyone's contributing that room. I can't think of an obvious cut. Yeah, what a world we live in now. <laughs> I mean, Kabinda, maybe, but they love him. Um, maybe a special team, a linebacker, but then you've got a hole to fill there. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it's a priority position, really, wide no. receiver six, seven. I agree. And, and you look at some of the guys who, obviously, like James Houston is getting more reps now, but that special teams unit is not only doing a really good job, but feels pretty settled. And so mm. I, I don't think they'd want to give up a special teamer who's really contributing on that on that part of the side of the ball. So, yeah. So lots of suggestions in the chat. Geordie Manchin says maybe Pittman or Woods. Woods is the captain of the special teams unit. There's no chance he's going anywhere. In fact, he's a prime candidate to get re-signed, despite what everyone may think. Um, Pittman, maybe the best special teamer that goes unnoticed on that unit. He's just very, very solid every day, turns up, makes some big hits, but doesn't really do anything on defense. Uh, Quirky Zerky says Zilstra. Zilstra played the most snaps of any tight end in 11 personnel when the Lions played 11 personnel the most of any formation yesterday. So they love him as that tight end who either blocks as one tight end or or is a pass catcher as a fourth guy. So I don't see that happening either. I don't know. It's really hard. I I can't believe it. It, I I was probably going to end with this sort of thing, but it's the best Lions team I can remember since... I started being a fan, maybe. I really feel like it's close. So um, it was shared in the chat from Jeremy Reisman saying that by DVOA, the Lions are ninth overall for the season. And that includes, after seven weeks, being the worst defense in NFL history. (laughs) Like, after seven games, it was the most historically bad defense the league had ever seen. And we're now the ninth best team, including that stretch, which tells you quite how good this team has had to be to get there. Yeah, and and the fact I mean, look if if there's only eight teams better than you, and I'd say the AFC is better than the NFC, surely there's only four NFC teams above us. I would guess, not knowing what's above. I mean, to relatively, so I count two. Okay, got Eagles, Niners, three, Cowboys. Eagles, Niners, Cowboys, but Cowboys yeah. would be close and. I mean, Niners are sweeping everyone away without quarterback, which is just incredible. But Purdy has been good. I will say I've been impressed by him. But he's he was the last pick for a reason. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Put him under a bit of pressure and we'll see what happens. Anyway, let's let's talk about this stupid, crazy, ridiculous game. Lions 20, Jets 17. Lions go 2-0 and in the Meadowlands this season, which is incredible, especially given the well-documented Lions woes away from home, apparently, although just you could read Lions woes generally into that statement, I think probably, historically. Um, elevated linebacker Jared Davis and quarterback Josh Dobbs, although Dobbs was as a precaution, he ended up being a healthy scratch because our backup Nate Sudfeld was able to go. Our inactives for the game were offensive linemen Keodi Awashika and Ross Pierschbacker, Dobbs, the quarterback, running back Craig Reynolds, who was activated, but like they did with Romeo Aquara, activated him and left him out, just giving him a little bit more time. 
Linebacker Derek Barnes, his knee's still giving him trouble. And defensive lineman Michael Brockers with sickness didn't travel. And Austin Bryant, healthy scratch. Looks like his days are numbered here. Maybe he's the guy who can fall. Austin Bryant's the guy who can go. There we go. The Jets obviously got some real heartbreaking news before the game when Quinn and Williams, Mike White, Corey Davis couldn't go. James Robinson, LaMarcus Joyner, Brandon Eccles and Jeremy Rucker also not getting there. That's a heck of a lot of people to not have in this game. You know, we're looking at this saying, well, we've scraped to win against the Jets, but without their best player in Quinn and Williams, without the starting quarterback in Mike White, without their wide receiver two, a running back they traded for in a year, their best safety, that's that's a heck of a lot, Tom. Yeah, it sure is. And obviously we'll come on to some of the quarterback play, but you're missing a lot of guys. Um, the thing they have in their favour is they have an incredibly talented defence, really across the board. It, obviously they have high picks, but they've also really coached along guys who were very much middle-of-the-road NFL players. So... A lot of talent on that team, which means they can probably overcome it more easily than, than others. But but yeah, um, I'm sure not quite what they were looking for coming into this game. No, it wasn't exactly the best. So let's have a look at stats. Jared Goff didn't throw for the most yards. And, you know, 80 of those came in the final drive. 23 of 38 for 252 and a touchdown. On the grounds, they went for 107 off 28 carries, including 8 for 52 for Swift, which is a big uptick in his fortunes jamal was pretty much held all day to short yardage 13 carries for 33 yards including a long of 10 which means his remaining 12 carries went for 23 yards which is pretty rough going in the receiving game a lot of the damage done by amon ra and khalif amon ra went 7 of 10 for 76 and khalif 5 of 6 for 53 brock Wright with that late touchdown his only catch went for 51 yards and that touchdown for new york Zach Wilson went 18 of 35, so a smidge over 50%. 317 yards, two touchdowns and an interception in the receiving game. Garrett Wilson, four of nine for 98. And Jeff Smith, four of five for 77. Jeff Smith came out of absolutely nowhere. Ash and myself had absolutely no idea who he was. And uh, then he popped up for two absolutely massive passes, which, you know, pissed me off no end, to be quite honest. Um, (laughs) In the rushing attack, the Lions held this unit to basically nothing all games on of a night 13 for 23 and michael carter 4 for 15 on defense obviously the lions had the interception by jerry jacobs for 39 yards says 38 but we're giving him 39 because he wears 39 um led in tackles by deshaun elliott and jeff akuda and kirby joseph with six lions got seven tackles for a loss including four sacks two from romeo quara one from houston one from kaminsky Jets on defense didn't get any sacks. They did get four tackles for a loss, two from Quincy Williams, one from Carl Lawson, one from Nathan Shepard. Not a lot to speak of in the special teams game, apart from the punt return touchdown by Khalif Raymond. Michael Badgley did miss a long field goal. Kick kind of died on him a little bit, which was a shame. And Greg Zerline missed a game-tying field goal attempt at the end. An iffy day for Jack Fox, who averaged 45 yards per kick, including a couple of short or knuckleball ones. And he also had a touchback, which was a bit disappointing. Um, those are your stats. Anything jump out to you there before we kind of dive into the game in more detail? I guess a uh, another reminder that it's very hard to look at a box score and take 
kind of key insights away. Like I heard those Zach Wilson numbers. And you, if you didn't watch the game, you'd hear those and be like, yeah, it sounds like he took a step forward, completion percentage down, but through for a lot of yards. I mean, it's just, we'll, we'll come on to it. But yeah, not not to always read the box score would be my, uh, my call out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Lions started on offense and they actually had a really nice drive to start. Uh, tossed to Swift for nine on the outside. Goff play action pass to Mitchell, converting for a first down. Goff on third and six, completes to Raymond to convert. A nice timing throw then, probably my throw of the day, actually. Goff on a timing route to Amaras and Brown. It was only for like 10 or 12 yards, but the window was so tight and the timing had to be absolutely precise. It was really, really pretty. Uh, followed that up straight away with another Amamra catch, converting for first down and goal from the seven. And from first down and goal on the seven, despite all of our damage being pretty much done in the passing game, we went run, 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 and got stacked from the half-yard line back to the two on that fourth down and goal. First drive was almost like more of the same from previous weeks, where the offense looked like it was rolling, we were going to put points on them, and we were going to continue to do so. And it looked like, I don't know, maybe that they bottled it a little bit or just thought Williams is money from this situation, so we are just going to bank on him. And it didn't work. And you have a look at what the Jets are good at. And we weren't really matching their weakness with our strength, I don't think. No, I can't remember the third down what we had to go then because Dan Campbell was always going to go for it on fourth. Um, and another reasons will come on to obviously what more happens afterwards. But with the fourth down play, just I think it was Quincy Williams wasn't on the Jets side. It made a hell of a play. It wasn't executed brilliantly from the Lions side, but he's fought through, I want to say both tight ends, one pulling across the formation. And then I think he got a chip from Mitchell before fought through it to make a play. I mean, that one especially was a was a hell of a play. But we do go through these and maybe it's just life with this team and, and our talent that we are going to want to run the ball in situations and it's hard to get in the <laughs> kind of get in the um, goal line, to be honest. So it, it's a bit frustrating when you just see run, 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 run and not get in. And there's been a number of times throughout the season, even in this game, where you have second and long runs and even third and long runs and you kind of question, what are we doing here? But, but yeah, I, I think with the fourth down play specifically for me, it was you absolutely go for it. And it was a, a brilliant play for Quincy Williams to start. If I remember the third down play correctly, it was third and goal from the four. Okay. And we ran out of shotgun with Justin Jackson, got three and a half and it, he got in, hit in with about case, a yard and a half to go and fell forwards and probably wasn't ever going to get there. But yeah. In which case, I don't mind the fact that we did run it all four times. It would have been second down is probably where you look to um, pass the ball. If you've got four, if you know you're going for it on fourth and you've got four yards to cover, then normally you're going to be like, I'm just going to run the ball on third down because if I get between one and three yards, I then feel good about converting on fourth. If you pass the ball incomplete, then obviously four yards, you're realistically not going to run that in probably. So you actually saw it later in the day as well when we were going to go for it on fourth down for one of the conversions. We did the same thing. I think it was third and four and it was another run inside. And I was there thinking kind of what are we doing here? But it was because Campbell had already made the decision we were in purgatory almost with what to do so we were going for it on fourth down and that's how you then set up a fourth and short so yeah it's frustrating when you just see it as run 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 and you don't get in but I can understand the logic 
Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, okay, so Jets turn them over at the two. Uh, and then the Lions almost force a safety. So Elliot and Bugs tackle for a loss. Knight gets back to the half-yard line just. Uh, Jerry, then very physical on the outside against Garrett Wilson. DPI not called. I think that was a bad not non-call. To be honest, it looked like Jerry didn't turn his head at all and just played the man. Uh, and then Akuda almost picks off Wilson. Really nice play by him to react to the ball, but just can't get his hands there in time. Uh, that makes it fourth and 11. And here's the punt return for a touchdown. So they're going from the half yard line. So as little room as you can have as a punter. And he hurries it more than he needs to, but you can't take any chances from that situation. He manages to punt to his own 46. Raymond takes it, beats the man on coming. And then there's no one near him. Like I heard people say, oh, the blocking was good, but there, there wasn't anyone near him. The one person that did get near him was the punter himself right at the end, who was ably blocked by James Houston, and Raymond leaped over him for the touchdown. But as much as it was a good play by Raymond, and I give him as much credit as I can, it was a woeful play by the Jets. It was terrible. Yeah, and this is why, obviously, you want to get in on fourth down, but I don't see why you wouldn't always go for it if you had fourth and goal from the two or something like that, even if your offense wasn't coming, because if you can get pressure and you feel like you can get a stop, punting with that kind of reduced distance between the back of the end zone and the formation, you're never going to, like, on the on the um, commentary, what was the name of the color commentator? I can't remember. But anyway, he was saying um, it was a bad punt, and it probably didn't have the hang time you like, but it's so hard to punt the ball deep when you've got that shorter um shorter field so yeah at that stage it's very hard to cover like you say there wasn't really much blocking other than James Houston and some fancy footwork from from Raymond avoiding him I thought it was going to be a, a he was going to trip over so that was pretty tasty but but yeah I mean it just looked that was one of those moments where we basically walk in for the touchdown we've had a really nice first drive defense comes out on fire and you get the feeling this this could be one of those nice, easy days we've seen over the past six weeks. Little did we know the uh, the pain that was to come. So kickoff comes and it's short and Barrios fumbles it and manages to recover just in time before getting covered. I think the lines were... There was a flag which meant that they were set back five yards. So Fox kind of chipped it up a bit to give the Lions coverage team time to get down there instead of risking not getting the the, the touchback. Um, Knight gets tackled for a loss again. So on the second drive, his second TFL on only like fifth or sixth offensive play, the Jets run. Wilson then panics on the blitz and chucks it up, but not intercepted. In fact, defensive pass interference on, on Elliott. He does hold him pretty much all the way. Holds him before and after the ball is thrown. Maybe a bit unlucky to not get called for holding instead pass interference, but there we go. Um, prob- uh, Knight hit at the line again by Hutchinson in the ensuing three. Second and two, Knight again gets no gain. Wilson then sacked by Houston and just completely left by the Jets' offense. And Wilson should be looking at him going, hmm, pass rush specialist, can't drop into coverage. I'm leaving him unblocked. I've got to throw the ball within a second and a half. And he double clutches and just eats the sack. And then they have to throw it away. Uh, sorry, punt it away when 
if they throw it away, maybe they can consider going for it on fourth down. Or, I mean, they got Greg the leg. Maybe they consider going for a long field goal. I'm not sure. But another baffling play by the Jets. I mean, they managed to get it into reasonable territory on the Lions' side of the field and end up having to punt away. And that happened a couple of times to them in this game. Yeah, it showed with, obviously, Wilson having not been in the lineup recently. But there was a lot of almost football intelligence plays that you you wouldn't want your quarterback to be having to think about. And it felt like he was thinking about everything and everything was happening very much in the moment rather than him having the composure to really understand the situation and what was going on. So, yeah, again, I mean, this just it, it sets up nicely. I thought that the defence in particular on this drive, the way we defended the run on those early downs was super impressive. Ali um, McNeil was brilliant again. Um, I think it may have even been the last time I was on the show a few weeks ago, but I was saying, where is this Aleem McNeil, which we heard so much about in training camp? The first half of the season, he wasn't bad. He was just a little invisible. Yeah. And it, he he's the complete opposite now. Even when he has games where he's not at his absolute best, he keeps having these splash plays and he's clearly making a difference in the middle of that line. That showed up on, on these um, early Jets run plays. So... So, yeah, poor, poor execution from them, to be honest. And I think solid from the Lions. Yeah, very solid. I, I couldn't believe how good the run defense has been over the last eight weeks, eight games, maybe yeah. nine games. I mean, so it was pointed out last week, and I'm not sure whether you've actually listened to the, the show when you've been away, but someone pointed out, and I need to go back and actually look at this, that the Lions have been one of the best teams in the league against running backs, rushing, and actually... And the first part of the season where they were terrible against the run, all those yards were being gained by quarterbacks. It wasn't really any running backs doing the damage. You think about the Bears and Justin Fields. It wasn't David Montgomery, you know? Like, yeah. So I, I need to go back and have a look at exactly what damage has been done by running backs, but I really don't think it's been very much at all from memory all across the season. No, and, and if you remember those early games, it looked like we were just, people were kind of knife through butter. Um, whether it was running back or quarterback, it was just it was really frustrating to watch. And obviously, it was a a really clear part of the poor defense last year for the Lions was how easily teams could run on us. So to see that improvement with obviously not a huge change in in talent, um, especially in the middle of that line, is really really impressive. It is. There's lots of chat that I can't catch up with when I'm speaking. So let's see. Quirky Zerky says Goff has the second most passing yards against the Jets this season with 252. That's that's unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. It, it really is. I, again, I think that 252 is slightly inflated by especially what happened with the Brock Wright play, etc. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that Jets defense is legit and We'll come on to some of the things that weren't perfect with the Lions, especially in the second and third quarter. But even just getting out of there with a win was was impressive. On the next um, play, so the Jets punt and it goes for a touchback, which is just a waste from their position. They were around midfield and they only gained 13 net yards. Lions only run a few plays. It wasn't quite three and out, but they are forced to punt away, I think maybe after only one first down. Jets back on offense. Wilson... Rolls out to his right, gets flushed out a little bit, but he's got so much time. No one in front of him whatsoever, Jets or Lions players. And he um, throws along to Garrett Wilson for a big gain. 
then a naked bootleg to the left and a nice throw across his body to CJ Uzoma for 41 yards, beats Kirby Joseph to a touchdown Jets, PAT's good, 7-7 tie ball game. And those came in back-to-back plays. So that first one to Garrett Wilson, I think, was from their own 25 to the 41. And then Uzoma from the 41 for a touchdown. I mean, really took the wind out of me. And when I saw that happen, I thought, how has Wilson got that free for the throw to Wilson? And then he kind of chucks it up a bit in field. Like uh, Wilson has run his route as a kind of po- uh, uh, corner route. And then in the scramble drill comes back inside and Wilson throws inside him to where only he can get it. Um, but it just should never be that free. The only weapon really that they have in their wide receiver core at this point, Elijah Moore, great, but you're not going to threaten you down the field as much. He's not that guy. And then the naked bootleg to the left, I say throws across his body, but he really didn't because he kind of had time to reset himself, compose himself, wait a couple of seconds, and then throw the ball to CJ for the touchdown. And Kirby tries to swap the ball away when he really could just tackle the man's legs. Like his his chance of forcing an incompletion there was very small. His chance of saving the touchdown was significantly higher. And I think he just kind of, his inexperience showed there was aggressiveness kind of showed because we know he's a bit of a ball hawk. We know he is uber aggressive we heard that when he was coming out maybe the lack of experience showing from kirby a bit yeah and i need to re-watch that like that's actually one that i've noted down i want to re-watch because they showed a replay from behind the quarterback so you can see the field i believe kirby's basically got center field and i'm, I'm unsure what he read to let cj azuma come all the way across his face because He's really. I don't feel like there's there's a deep threat going into the other corner, so I'm struggling to see what has meant he's late on that. He's got the range and speed to to get across there comfortably, and actually, if he makes the right read, he can jump that easily. So I think you're exactly right. It was an inexperienced thing with the ball in the air, not knowing how to play it and um, living to fight another down. But I'm still not sure what he's seen there, which is which has allowed Zuma to come across his face like that. Wilson just operating so well outside of structure. Like it seemed like when he was able to get in those positions, he killed us all the way through the game. And actually that was one of the things I was fearing and why the jets didn't do that more often really confused me down the stretch. He seemed to be asked to operate in structure as much as he could, whether that was in play action or not, but he wasn't getting bootlegged or anything like that at all to avoid that offensive line because the lions were getting pressure. And actually, when they got pressure and he got flushed out, that was when he looked best. So any thoughts on on the play-calling aspect of things there for them and and why the Lions maybe couldn't shut that down as well? The only thing I can think, because I agree, I mean, if you think about their yards in the air, a lot of them came from those rollouts, broken plays, etc. At the same time, I think, like I say, we'll come on to the Lions DBs. There was a lot of balls just thrown up for grabs to Garrett Wilson, who's six foot, 183 pounds, and he was making plays on the ball. Is that sustainable? The Lions probably should have either batted a few more down, defended plays better, potentially turned the ball over more. And maybe they thought, yes, this is working to some extent, but we can't just keep rolling him out because he's going to make bad decisions and keep turning the ball over. And we... We at least need to try and limit the turnovers as best we can. Um, that's the only thing I can think of because he just 
there there was his footwork in the pocket is just clearly not, not where it needs to be. And you saw that with the accuracy. He can stand in the pocket and miss a guy by three or four yards. High, left, right, like either way. He was leaving the ball behind a lot for these guys. And given his his arm talent, it's just almost unforgivable. So, yeah, I, I it's, it's a tough scene for the, the Jets OC who had to deal with that. Um, I think there was no good answer. No, that makes sense. Uh, so Lions get the ball back now, tie ball game. Out of eye formation, play action pass to DJ Chark on a shallow crosser. Uh, turns upfield for 18 yards, which was a really nice play. It was actually called to um, uh, Josh Reynolds on the coverage, but it was it was definitely DJ Chark. It was number four. Um, very next play, Goff on a deep shot to J-Mo, way underthrown. Uh, J-Mo's beaten his man. This is 60 yards or so we're talking. It's about from the 40 or 45. And J-Mo's waiting for the ball to get to him on the goal line to kind of catch it and fall into the end zone. He's turned around and he's just waiting to fall backwards. And DJ Reed, I think it was, manages to kind of flail an arm just in hope rather than expectation because he's beat by three yards and manages to kind of catch up. Goff, if he can get another couple of yards on it, is absolutely there. Great route by J-Mo. And second time he's done it to a team, obviously just kind of burned him for speed. Makes you wonder why the Lions aren't running that play anymore. Um, but also a shame that Goff couldn't connect there. I mean, the thing is about long shots like that is you only get so many chances to hit those in a game. It's not that sort of thing that you get a lot of practice doing in a game again and again and again. Muscle memory isn't quite there like the really nice throw I talked about to Alan Ryer early in the game, which was a timing route, which was 12 yards. You can do that every single play if you want to, but that felt like that could have been a bozzy blow that, that they got away with the Jets. Yeah, and it was a nice route. The, the one with the Vikings was more busted coverage, let's be honest. But, sure. um, but it was a really nice route from Williams and there's, there's part of me which is a little bit, maybe this is conspiracy theory, but they've absolutely got JMO on a snap count. I think they're maybe even protecting him more than they could or they should with one eye on potentially a wildcard game in case that's in their future. And they don't want to put too much on tape of what are some of these plays where we're going to get them deep. Um, could be completely off with that. I definitely don't think that they would, if they were... I mean, if they were five and nine, I don't think they'd be playing him that that much more. I just wonder if they're maybe holding him back even a little more, getting him comfortable in the hope that, especially come week 18 and hopefully a wildcard game, he can have an even greater impact. Um, it was a really, it, it was frustrating to watch, let's all be honest, in terms of seeing that ball underthrown when he's so far deep in. A really nice play by the DB, not giving up on the play. But it doesn't really worry me at all. And again, I'm I'm not going to go to bat for Jared Goff being a great deep ball thrower. But Jamo's a certified freak. And that's going to take a bit of time for anyone to get used to. Especially when he hasn't had the offseason. He hasn't had the early part of the season to build that chemistry. I mean, if you drop Josh Reynolds into other teams in the league, I guarantee he wouldn't be having the same connection as he does with Goff. Because it, like, that's a real thing, developing that connection. When you've got a guy who could easily have run a 4-2 at the Combine and is new to you, that's going to take a bit of time to get used to. So uh, do I think Goff will get it together with J-Mo perfectly? No, because I don't think he's a wonderful deep ball thrower. 
but I don't think you can expect him to at this stage. Like there, there's going to be these these issues, and he's going to overthrow him at some stage in the next few weeks as well as he tries to find out uh, that kind of where to drop the ball, I guess. Yeah, Quirky Zerky makes this point in the chat as well. So Goff had to step up in the pocket, which messed up the timing of the throw. Jamo didn't get open until the 10-yard line, so it's going to be a tight throw no matter what. If Goff throws it further, the ball is almost out of the end zone. Now, I don't entirely buy that argument, but what I will buy is the difference between hitting someone in stride or not is like a yard, a yard and a half at best. And trying to put a yard more on the ball on a 50-yard throw is needle and haystack stuff you know some some element of that is just complete luck as to trying to put two percent more power on it it's not like um playing tiger woods in the golf where you can just time the swing absolutely perfectly for the power that you want you know it's it feels basically the same you know to to make that a throw so the tiny little adjustments are really difficult and that's exactly why i was thinking when i saw some of the chat on twitter afterwards it's it's almost we're so preconditioned to playing Madden where you just press a button and the ball lands in the receiver's arms. You kind of forget the speed this is all moving at to drop the ball in a bucket, whether it's at 49 yards, 50 yards and 51 yards. And those three those three distances have completely different outcomes is kind of crazy. Now, yes, they're the best in the world for a reason. They should be able to do it. Um, is it something that we'll all be monitoring? Absolutely. But this one-off, I'm, I'm not hugely concerned concerned by so that would have been a 56 oh no sorry beg your pardon um read my own notes so after that play lines go for it on fourth and three that was going to be a 56 yard attempt if they gone for the field goal so they turned down that and considering what happens later maybe a good decision uh fourth and three convert to amal Ralston brown on a sideline crosser um so a shallow crosser to the near sideline. Jamal Williams touchdown later on in this drive gets called back for an Evan Brown hold. Run another play to get some yards back. And then another Brown hold brings them back down to like second and 27 or something like that. They managed to get back 15, but then they can't convert on third and 12. Fields goal is good from 31. Lions take a 10 to 7 lead. Um, a little bit on Brown seemed like a bit of a two holds and everyone thinks he's had a really rough day. Goff didn't get sacked. I think that that reflects well on the O-line in general. Um, But Brown getting pinged for holds where the defensive lineman tries to disengage and he can't just let him go. It's not a hold in terms of he's getting beat. It's more shaking off a bit of rust because you know that sort of thing's happening and you just have to react to it one of them i think actually was getting his hands on the outside of shoulder pads and it's just incredibly obvious when you need to be inside or just push don't even hold at all the the first one look they're both just execution errors um in general the lines have got a lot better this year and especially in the second half of the season when it comes to flags I don't know i don't have any data on that but just from uh, eye testing it feels like that we've been better in that regard um, the the first one you're right. It was kind of yes. It was probably a, it was probably a flag. Will it always get called? No. The second one was more egregious. It was, I'm pretty sure he was he was kicking out and blocking a DB. And to wrap your hands around a DB when I mean he could manhandle him with one arm <coughs> was just we, we can't be doing that really. Especially when obviously they're going to have their eyes on you. You've just held before. You've got to be smarter than that. So. Um, a bit frustrating and a bit of a theme which continued then for the next 10, 15 minutes in terms of 
just execution not quite being there. It was a little bit what we'd seen earlier in the season rather than the last few weeks, but but yeah. Dan Pass says that whole which took away Jamal's touchdown was BS for me. Um, when I watched it back, I was hoping that I was thinking that too. But when I saw it, I was like, oh yeah, he's just totally prevented a guy from making a touchdown-saving tackle. Like, if I was on the other side of that, I would be absolutely livid if I'm not being given that hold because you might say that that defender has no chance to make the stop but you have to be given the ability to try like he did not let him move when he was trying to disengage for me it's it's as clear as day now you're right on whether it gets called or not because sometimes that's hard to see that's why the back judge called it because the normal judge that calls holds from the front side couldn't see it and that's why you get away with it sometimes and in fact getting away with that sort of thing is good O-line technique. But, you know, sometimes the back judge is going to see it and you'll get pinged for it. So I think it's 100% a hold. But, yeah, you're right on the second one. But there's there's just no needs. Like, just just push him over. Like, he's not yeah. going to be able to hang with you. You're almost double his weight. Just push him over. Don't... Yeah, I don't... And, and even if you... Like, a DB isn't going to go through you, or very few are in that situation. And so he's going to have to work around you, even by being in the way without like forcibly engaging, you're impacting the play in a, in a positive way. So, yeah, I mean, look, it was the first one I've got no real issue with. Like I say, sometimes they get called. It's it's more uh, probably trying to get away with it. The second one, you just, you just can't do that. No, so the Lions take a three-point lead after that all fizzles out. Uh, getting to the back end of the first half now, Wilson play action pass to Moore. Nice first down throw through the middle in rhythm. A zone keeper on third and one, he converts. I really had hope that we could stop him doing that, but it wasn't to be. And then a jet sweep on third down, and they convert on that too. Ash said on the coverage, they've stolen that from us. I'm not sure we invented the play, but we have done it a lot recently. Um, and then pressure in Wilson's face. He throws it away. He got called for intentional grounding. You could see Salah absolutely livid on the sideline, but he really does chuck it into the ground. Like it is in the direction of someone, but he bounces it five yards away from him throwing and the receiver's about 15 yards further away. Like I don't, I don't understand why Salah was in a sense there, but intentional grounding's called, so you get second and 20 around midfield. Then Wilson gets sacked by Romeo Aquara. Good to see him getting some meaningful snaps, and that actually kicks them out of field goal range. They can't convert on third down and long, and they have to punt. Second example, uh, Tom, of the Jets getting on our side of the field, looking like they're in field goal range or the fringes of, especially with someone like Greg Zerline, who has got a field goal from 60-plus in his career. So, you know, very much possible in his range. And they're shooting themselves in the foot. When the Lions win this game by three points, to be sacked out of field goal territory or fringe field goal territory twice is egregious, I think, on the on the part of Zach Wilson. And, you know, Asking him to come back in after four games and execute perfectly is is a hard task, but he got them to that point and just don't screw it up. Like both teams conceptually are trying to not give away the ball or get out of point scoring range. And it just happened a couple of times for them. A good play by Aquara to get the sack as well, I have to say. But, you know... It feels like the Jets left more on the table than perhaps we did, even though we went over three in the red zone. 
Yeah, agree. And I guess you can look at that in two ways. You can say Wilson needs to be better. He does and did need to be on the day. But you're in a tricky place when you're calling plays there because you want to be aggressive. But at the same time, part of you is probably there thinking, we just need to get this within field goal range so we can get points. And so you could make the argument maybe they should have been slightly defensive on their play calls to try and just keep moving the ball up and trying to get the first down, yes, but making sure they were actually kind of getting these little kind of three, four-yard plays in um, rather than relying on Wilson to do everything himself. It's just a really tough place to be when you've got a quarterback who's struggling like that. But I'd say this is this is one of the clearest examples of this brand new Lions. Um, is not just the outcome of the game. It's, to your point, two drives where it looks like... And the Jets were playing nicely now. Like, Wilson was looking like Wilson, but they were making plays. The Lions defense looked a little shell-shocked at this stage, but they still made a stand and kept them out of field goal range and kept points off the board. Um, and ultimately, as you mentioned, it's a three-point game at the end. That's what made the difference. And it's that which we didn't have before, not only last season, but during the Patricia area uh, earlier in this season, we'd always give up those third downs and allow people to keep getting points and keep kind of chipping away. That feels like one of the really clear differences with, with the changes over the past six weeks. Yeah, absolutely. We are situationally more aware and keeping things tighter in those crucial moments. I mean, sometimes we would resemble a Vikings defense currently. I would say just soft zone, really defensive. I'll take what you like. It's okay as long as we don't concede when you get down to the red zone, which is just so... You're reducing it to a game of red zone defense, and you can't reliably do that, especially against good teams. Yeah, and we were talking slightly uh, before we before we started around where where the places are for for certain guys who are fan favourites, and actually who do you cut from the current roster? And even when you go down to this defense, and this defense is not loaded with talent, there's high picks, but you know it's not a, a team of superstars. At the same time, I don't think you can pick on guys as easily as previously. Now, I think all of us would agree that the DBs didn't have a good game against the Jets. But there aren't those kind of players where you think, I can just target this guy. Last year, Anzalone in coverage, prime example, it was it was awful. And you knew that they could always go to the middle of the field on these short intermediate routes and you could you could convert. Similarly, we'd struggle on the outside at times as well if Amani was out there. We don't have quite those same negative matchups now that you can look at our, our defense and say, I am just going to target this one player and I know that my guy is going to beat him. Um, we saw it a little bit with the DBs, but almost unintentionally, right? They were balls just heaved up and Garrett Wilson went and made a play or beat guys rather than it being a, um, I guess, a, a target from that Jets game plan to be like, we're going to go after Jeff Okuda or we're going to go after Malcolm Rodriguez, something like that. You just can't do that, I don't think, in quite the same way. Agree. Um, so after the Jets punt, there's 58 seconds on the clock. Lions look like they could have given up three or worse and maybe go in level or behind. Suddenly three ahead look like they got a chance to run a, a two-minute drill and maybe go further in front. Swift starts on the ground with a lovely run for 15, gets you to about the 40-45 yard line. You're thinking, hey, we're looking like we're going to do something here. And then just an anemic set of three plays with a big bag of nothing and the Lions punt. The drive takes 33 seconds, and with 25 seconds to go from the Jets' 19, 
the the Jets end up with three and tie the game up. Uh, Wilson, first play, really long throw to Jeff Smith on the right-hand sideline um, to the Lions 31. So it's a pass of uh, 31 and 50. 50-yard 50 pass to Jeff Smith, pretty much all through the air. And then next play, really nice throw to Jeff Smith again for 16 yards on the far sideline. 12 seconds to go, 15 yards to go. Throws to the end zone. Akuda contacts the man early in the end zone. It's a bit bang-bang, but I've seen those called. Was not called, but that would have been first down and goal from the one if it was. Eight seconds to go. Wilson looks like he's going to give it a chance, but ends up throwing it away out of the end zone to the left-hand side. And the field goal is good from 34-10-10 tie half. And at the end of the day, I was thinking at halftime, wow, we've... uh, We've got away with one there again. The the defense has just about held on. But a few 50-50 plays on uh, referees' calls. I talked about uh, Jacobs on the first drive not getting called for DPI. Akuda here not getting called for DPI. Marginal calls kind of going the Lions' way, even though the the deep balls we just couldn't defend all day, it seemed like. We, we managed to get out only conceding three. Yeah, and it, to your point, it definitely felt like we got away with that. Um, this is where it started getting a bit concerning. Um, watching guys we've potentially never heard of run past <laughs> our DBs is it's not a great place to be. Yeah, when you've got previously third choice Jets quarterback Zach Wilson throwing to a guy called Smith that you've never really heard of and just torching the cooter off the line, um, it's concern. This is the kind of thing where with the game, as I think we touched on, being kind of blacked out in the UK. Normally on Game Pass, you can just rewind a play and watch it again and see what actually happened, whereas when it's a live stream, we can do that. So this is another one I'd like to go back and look at what happened to Akuda. But we're getting a few more data points through the season in terms of if it's these deep crosses and, to be honest, just go routes, he's really struggling. If he doesn't make contact at the line, guys are just blowing past him. So... Uh, it's a theme which is starting to starting to carry, um, and I think the the honeymoon for for Jeff in his first few weeks is starting to wear off. Sadly, I I would hang fire on the Akuda stuff just for the moment. I still think he's suffering with the effects of his illness from last week. So he spent most of practice before the start of the last game. Um, didn't practice. I think all week had had flu. Um, exactly the same thing that was affecting um, who was it who was badly affected by it oh was it the Vikings no no it was um, it was the France in the World Cup final looking lethargic so half their team went down with the virus before the game really? and like yeah that. yeah so they, they looked really tired and basically just said oh they've got no energy they can't get up for it and I think Akuda yeah. when, you, when you do have like flu sometimes it can just take you two weeks to get back anyone who got covid kind of knows what that sort of lethargy can feel like and maybe it feels like i'm throwing a cuda uh a bone a little bit but what i saw from him before the illness was someone who had the odd play here or there where you're like oh i'm not sure about that but i also saw data points from him that i hadn't seen before from him in his lions career where he was showing some really high level stuff so I want to give him another week to kind of get back to full fitness before I really do beat him with a stick. Because if he was fully fit for this game, he wasn't good. 
most yeah. of the time. He picked the ball off almost twice as well, and in run defense was okay, but that's what we know he can do. It's the it, coverage stuff which is interesting. Yeah, and again, we manage this by saying, I think in the first few weeks of the season, there was the hope from fans that he could turn into the player we were hoping we were getting. And I'm not saying he won't. It's just now the second half of our season to this point, I don't think he's quite shown that. And he looks very much like a starting cornerback in this league, but maybe not the guy that could take that step to be one of the league's best. Now, maybe he can. Who knows? I think this film, like you say, if if there's nothing from an illness standpoint, this is the kind of film that critics would say, he looks like he should become a safety. Um, and I, I don't even mean that in a derogatory way, as in I think he could be in a fantastic safety. He's got such a clear skill set there, and I'm not saying move in there. I'm just saying this is the kind of film where you could say you can see his impact in the run game, filling the alley, being physical. Obviously, having a knack for the ball and that he didn't he didn't get a pick, but he was around it. He struggled with the traditional corner stuff which yeah. is obviously important when you're a corner and actually do I prefer him in a matchup if you think about him as a strong safety playing a lot of man on the line up against tight ends he's tall he's physical he's got length I love those matchups what I don't like is going against those agile quick guys obviously deep threats as well as a risk so look I'm absolutely not um, saying I'm done with Akuda like far from it um, but it, it wasn't great True, right out of the half, uh, and the first notice we'll play is an inner Sam Darnold interception by Zach Wilson. I mean, really could have been a carbon copy of what happened a little bit further down the field. Um, obviously, we took that one back for six in the the Darnold interception game and went on to lose that one. Um, but Wilson throwing from the center of the field to the near sideline and just a terrible decision and a terrible pass with no zip just kind of hung up there my my nan could have caught it and she's dead like it was just absolute terrible pass and jerry just kind of plucks it on the move momentum going forwards returns it for give him 38 and a half yards um down to the 15 of the jets and he was actually very conservative i thought that he could kind of see the line and think I'm going to put my head down and go for it. And sometimes that works out badly. And he decided, you know what, the interception's good enough for me. I'm going to put it in the hands of my offense and trust them to get it done, which I think is a smart play by, by Jerry. Really, He goes out at the 15 and then the Lions offense, let him down, go three and out, kick the field goal and go up by three. Um, it wasn't a good set for the Lions. They ran the ball for a tackle for a loss. I think with Jamal um, just, bag of nothing really the Jets defense actually stood up really nicely for them there and, and bailed out Zach to be honest yeah I mean if we quickly get the throw out of the way it's one of the worst throws I've seen all season and I'd have to see the all 22 to see if there's something more to it but it looks like there's almost zero disguise and he's just lofted the ball up there it wasn't even near his guy either that's the thing it wasn't like it was a floaty ball and it was a I don't know, a 6'3 guy who's going to go up and make a play. It wasn't even close to the receiver. It wasn't a big receiver. It was the easiest pick I've ever seen. And to your point, I I was watching it live and I I was thinking the same thing. I was like, Jerry's going full steam ahead and then he kind of just goes out of bounds. And my initial reaction was like, maybe he could have done something different. And then I genuinely got flashbacks to, um, I had a very similar situation in my limited playing career 
and it literally ended my career. I tried to step inside against uh, an offensive lineman and ruptured my ACL and fractured my collarbone. I was hit so hard. So I kind of, after <laughs> initially watching it as a fan and being like, maybe you should have just stepped inside, I then got firmly back in my box. So. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. So the Lions just all out. Kick for three from 34. Um, next ensuing possession by the Jets. Really nice run by Knight. The first good one he's had all day. And it's brought back by a hole by um, George Fant there. Maligned right tackle. And then a dump off on third down and long doesn't get there. So they go three and out and punt to the Lions 34. Um, Raymond converts for a first down really nicely. And I thought he did a good job all day in the in the receiving game with a pretty anemic passing attack, actually, for the Lions all day. Um, Goff then did really well on second down, avoiding a sack with a pump fake. So a defender right in his face and he kind of goes to throw, doesn't adjust and does something which actually, for Goff, he's done really well all season. Instead of trying to spin out of things, he tries to juke players sometimes or just buy himself an extra second to throw the ball away which he did very well so i got to compliment him for that unfortunately that brought up third and five and the lions couldn't convert and fox from about midfield ends up kicking a touchback it's the first time i've seen a fox punt where i just looked at it and thought that's not a good punt which was a real shame um at this point, though, the Jets haven't started beyond the 25-yard line. We're about halfway through the third quarter, and the Lions are playing the the field position game really, really well, despite that touchback. Um, Wilson, on third down, then throws this awful air ball. I mean, even worse than the interception throw. But unfortunately, Deshaun Elliott just can't locate the ball, and Michael Carter goes up for it and catches it really well to his credit. And he should be expecting... Like, big contact is going to get absolutely mullered in the air. And it doesn't come. Like, they convert for a first down on that play. And it's like, I, I watched it back. And and how did that happen? I, I don't understand. Um, then Conklin uh, does a tight end sneak from third and a half yards, which was very effective. Uh, toss play to the outside. Anzalone forces a TFL at that point. Third and 12 can't convert, and the Jets end up punting again. Wilson backs up his interception with another terrible throw, and he panicked with with pressure in his face all day. He really didn't handle it well, Tom. No, not at all. And again, I think this comes back to just not having the, the reps recently, but um, that pass. I, I honestly, for anyone who hasn't seen it, I can't think of a way to visualise how bad it was for you. But it was like watching high school football. I mean, it, it was, it wasn't. It was so loopy that the ball was almost end over end. It was like yeah. he just thrown it underarm straight up. It was wild. Uh, how how that got converted, I'll never know. There were a few of those. Um, but yeah, what you mentioned on the line on the line side, there was a really nice uh, play by Raymond, as you said, and, and Goff did have a nice pump fake to try and avoid a sack. It was during this period, and obviously the end of the second half, uh, second quarter, to where we just started to see a little bit of those inconsistencies from Goff elsewhere. Though he was just missing guys with throws he he hasn't been in the past few weeks, so it was just getting a little concerning at this stage. Mm. That ball from Zach Wilson reminded me of a an up and under kick in rugby. Like you're just trying to get beyond the line advancing in front of you and one of your guys is going to run onto it with the momentum. I can hear Bill McLaren's voice in my ears. And if you don't know who Bill McLaren is, 
probably the most soothing voice in all of sports. Um, I'm pretty sure he's passed now, but probably the best rugby commentator of all time. Um, I'm not going to try and emulate it, even though I, I'd love to, but I really can't. Um, a really good play by Alex Anzalone, who had a, a terrific game all day, and, and I'll come on to that a little bit later. Uh, throw to Amaras and Brown, threading the needle again for 12 yards. Rag now hold his first of two, set us back, uh, and Fox punting, but can only get it to the 31, a, a weak punt. I don't know if there's something about uh, MetLife that wasn't, you know, particularly good for him on that day. It was a, a little windy, but it didn't seem too bad. Um, only five yards on the next drive for the Jets. They go three and out, but punt to the lines nine because obviously he had good field position to start. Wide receiver screen to Amon Rafa, 13, then forced to take a timeout in a bad spot where they were given only third and a half yard when it looked for all the world like they got a first down. And it was said in the live chat, why don't they challenge it? Because if they're going to burn a timeout anyway, might as well, and then you might get your timeout back and also get a first down. Luckily, Williams, when he come out of a timeout, gets almost 10 yards on the conversion running inside zone and just absolutely burning. Really nice play design, good blocking up front to make that happen. And Russell Brown then gets another 10 yards, um, offsetting, offsetting penalties on third and five. So Lawson was offside because he got the jump, but Ragnow holding us back again with another hold. Um, not sure what happened with Frank in this game, but those penalties and Evan Brown's penalties really did kind of put us in a bit of a hole. Uh, then Goff almost intercepted. That brought up a fourth down. A 54-yard shot was just short. It looked for me like it was just going to get there and just kind of died in the last couple of yards, which was a real shame. And that put the Jets for the first time in really good field position at the 44-yard line. I said pretty much all day, the Lions have put the Jets in bad starting positions. They knew that the Jets' offense was poor. Play that field position game, and the Jets couldn't get bugger all on offense. Suddenly, start the 44, and the tide starts to turn, Tom, on offense for the Jets, given a short field. The risk of the long field goal was someone who's not good at it. Yeah, and you saw... I think it was the extra point with our first touchdown, which then would have been going in the same direction. Um, there was a lot of curve on that first kick from Badgley. And it made me think that maybe, because no one really talked about the wind on the commentary or anything like that. Maybe it was stronger than we thought because, yes, Badgley doesn't have the biggest leg, but you're right, that ball just kind of died. And it wasn't like he, it didn't look like it was struck really badly. It just almost fell out of the air. So, yeah, that, that was when I think, It'd been building from a fan standpoint that this was getting a little worrying. And I think to your point, the tide was definitely starting to turn. I can't remember if obviously we ended up converting, but on the the half yard, the bad spot, was this a swift run with Sewell outside when he should have just carried on going? Because that was one of the, I know that we ended up converting. That was one of the most frustrated I was for the entire game. Yeah. Um, was the swift run with all the space in the world, follow your blocker. He cuts inside, which he so often does, and for some reason wants the contact then and then goes down, obviously, short of the line. So there was just all these execution things that were really starting to get to us. And then when you see, like you say, the Jets with good field position, things aren't going our way, and you've seen enough issues with our DBs already that it's getting a little concerning at this point. So the Jets start at the 44. Wilson going deep for Garrett Wilson. Um and 
DPI on Will Harris anyway, but Will uh, Garrett Wilson uh, fights through the contacts, makes an absolutely brilliant catch uh, down at the lines 21. Six and a half minutes to go at this point. Wilson then goes to Barrios. Will Harris's tackle at the lines gain. He swings him round and he gains an extra three yards. And it's just like, what are you doing? It was pointed out on the coverage, but like, just get him down. Don't, I don't care about the ferocity of your tackle. You're not going to punch the ball out from there. So come on, man. Um, that brings them down to the seven yard line. Michael Carter then on an inside zone run gets a bit of room, looks for all the world like he's going to get in. And Jeff Akuda puts in an absolutely fantastic touchdown saving kind of torpedo tackle where he just kind of chucks himself into the air. And in another world, that's almost a fumble. Like he's going for the ball as well as the man and he almost gets there. Uh, so it's now second down and goal from the one. Wilson tries to do a weird victory-like formation sneak. Like, there were two tight ends next to him and a running back behind him or something like that. And it worked really well. Almost got the touchdown. It was given a touchdown on the field, reversed his his elbow was down, even though his knees weren't. Uh, called down at the half-yard line and then a play-action pass to Yuzoma for his second and a 17-13 to 13 lead for the Jets. Um I'm not going to rag on Harris too much for that DPI. He knew he was beat, tried to to stop him getting there. I will say, if you're going to commit DPI, at least stop him catching the ball. Like, just just do it and, and make sure that you don't give up a touchdown. But great play by Garrett Wilson. I mean, not a great throw, again, just kind of hung up there. And more bad play by Lions DBs, I would say, rather than good quarterback play. Garrett Wilson's obviously just a a game-changing wide receiver for them, but kind of needs a bit of backup, I would say. What do you think? Yeah, he's a dog. The The other guy, Alave, obviously from OSU as well, has got most of the attention, I'd say, this year in terms of from the rookie receivers. Garrett Wilson's been fantastic. And when you think about, obviously, the, the quarterback plays had to deal with and uh, the constant changing, I think, as well, I think he's going to be a hell of a player. Um, to go up and... To make something of a lot of those plays is super impressive, considering his frame and size. And he wasn't going up against small corners a lot of the time. So, um, yeah, really, really nice play. The 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 sneak was weird. I, I wondered why. Like, I thought it was quite obvious when they showed. There was one replay early which clearly showed his left elbow was down and he was just driving his feet. So it took quite a long time for that to be overturned. And the commentary team were convinced it was a, a score early. With the touchdown itself straight afterwards, that kind of stuff really frustrates me. Um, because, look, they could easily have snuck the ball again. If you've got half a yard to cover, stopping a sneak dead in its tracks is so hard to do. So if you're Aline McNeil or whoever's lining up over the A-gaps, absolutely, you commit to that and nothing else. If you're on the edge of the formation, you it's unlikely they're going to be running outside zone or something right? Especially from where they are there. So you've got to be alert to this kind of thing. How many times do you see either on a fourth and short or a goal line play like this, someone just released to the flat and they're wide open? I don't know why it always happens, but I, for me, that's where a captain has really got to get his guys lined up and say, look, we need to know that this could be coming. And if they plow it straight down the A or the B gap and you get beaten in the run game, fine. You're not expected to stop them. It's just frustrating when that happens again and again. And obviously, Azoma was wide open for that for that pass. 
the number of times over the last 13 years that I've been a fan where it's been goal goal to go from the one and a team, and th- this wasn't the formation, but a team runs up in I formation, but it's 21 personnel with a tight end at fullback and a tight end on the right-hand side of the line. And either the running back or the tight end of fullback or the tight ends can release into the flat for a touchdown on play action pass. And it works 90% of the time, it feels like, against the Lions. Like, I don't remember us ever really stopping that play because even if the defense reads it, you don't really have a man following the quarterback on that route because it's on that move because it's kind of hard to get to the quarterback at that spot and you're committing to stopping them at the line. Which means that if a DB is tracking one of the tight ends releasing into the flat, it's at worst one-on-one and your tight end is bigger than the person in coverage. Like, that's the worst situation that you can have there. Yeah. And I saw that play and I thought, hmm, if only we could have done that from fourth down and a half yards from the very first drive of the game. Like, I was going to mention it at the time, but we have run that play before this season a few times and it works. So... Do that. Just do that. It works more often than the run in that spot, especially yeah. if you run it three times beforehand. Just anyway. So the Jets take the lead with four and a half minutes to go. Lions got two timeouts left. So plenty of time. I mean, even with a minute and a half, I think you've got plenty of time here. If if nothing else, you're actually trying to kill clock at this point and trying to make it the last possession of the game or go really quickly, knowing that if you then don't convert that you can punt it away and you've got enough time to try and get the ball back because i thought with how bad the jets offense has been getting the ball back in this spot is potentially realistic if you go three and out so i didn't mind either running four minute drill trying to kill clock or running hurry up trying to get two possessions in but they kind of ran an awkward in between that left time on the clock for the jets but didn't leave them time to get the ball back i was like yeah i don't really like that um but it started up by a drop by Brock Wright. What a guy. Like, you know, just most obvious catch in the world. Not going to go back to him anytime soon. Um, really nice run for eight yards on second down and 10 for Swift between the tackles. Controversially running a run play on second and 10 there, maybe trying to get a better third down situation than they did. And Amon Rasen ran converts to the Lions 40, 320 to go. Goff play action pass in I formation. He can't find anyone to dump it off. Third and seven converted to Raymond. I think he got there, but they call him short. The ball is micro millimeters away from being on that line. If they reviewed it, I don't know what they would do because there was very clear video evidence to show that, well, they could have looked down the line and precisely just put lines as to where the edge of the ball was to see. I haven't quite done that myself yet, but it was bloody close. Anyway, fourth down and... A half yard they give him, but it it could have been as close as that. And I think just sneak it and take your next few yards. Instead, play action pass, Brock Wright, the right-hand side of the line is a tight end. He crashes down on the left defensive end as if to give a running back room to go that way. And it would have been a very easy conversion for a first down. Instead, he releases. He's in acres of room. There isn't a man within 15 yards of him, Lion or Jet. Dump off by Goff. And he takes it the distance. Good speed by Brock to get upfield. Make the catch, first of all, which was really good too. Um, and and nice blocking up there. He makes a touchdown and, and the point after is good. And 20-17 to 17 for the Lions. I have to say on fourth down, I fear the worst. 
you know, how can the Lions lose it from here is always a thought in my mind. Um, Instead, I absolutely blew up. My voice was going at the time anyway, and I kind of go hypersonic. It was it was atrocious. I put a clip of it actually on Twitter to just show how ridiculous I sounded. But your your reaction to the play? Brand new lines. Uh, in, in the moment, I was fist bumping away. Let's just go with that. I was going wild because it, it was one of those plays where you're really taking a gamble. There are so many ways you can get half a yard and you can live to fight another day. And realistically, I think there's, if you pick a play to get one yard, especially where you are in the game there, you're hopefully converting that 89% of the time. So we could have kept the drive going, but they made a call on a risky play to Brock Wright, who's just stonewalled a catch a few plays earlier. And obviously takes it the distance. I absolutely loved that. I thought it was the best play call of the game. Um, obviously, it won us the game. Spoiler alert. Um, but it, it was just so brilliantly executed. And to your point, Brock Wright still, he's in acres of space. But he's got a lot of ground to cover. And he probably hasn't been in that situation that many times. So I think it, it was impressive that he did show that, that nose for the end zone to actually go and finish it as well. It would have been easy to go and take it down inside the 10 and, and like I say, have first and goal. But no, really, really impressive. I want to try and remember. So he had one super long touchdown. He had a 36-yard touchdown in 2021. I think maybe week 18 or week 17. Um, okay. But what was it in my memory. the end zone or was it a similar almost dump off and then he had to do everything himself? Dump off and he had to do it all himself. Fair play. So he's got a 9.8 round score, runs a 4.6440 or something, which yeah. for a tight end is pretty electric. Like, yeah. I, I really want him to get working on his on his catching because if he mm-hmm. could be a reliable receiver, his ceiling as a tight end is as high as you want it to be. Like, people won't talk about it with Brock because he's a UDFA, didn't have much production at Notre Dame. Um, was was regarded as a blocking tight end despite being super athletic. You thought that his his hands would be stoned and maybe you would think it a few plays earlier. But then he can do that and he showed he could do it last season as well. Really feels like he needs to put a solid off-season of work on just catching balls with Amon Ra. Like it would do him the world of goods. And then maybe our tight end one situation is sorted because as a blocker, I mean, he's better than Hawkinson in that regard. And he doesn't give away holds. So he's already in there as a kind of, 1B or 2A tight ends, should we say? Yeah, and he's had games this year where he's shown up in the past game too. Like, he definitely hasn't been consistent. And I mean, drops like that are at this level almost unforgivable. But he has, he has flashed definitely. Um, and like I say, I think you know what you're getting in the, in the blocking game. He hasn't been perfect this year there either, but there's definitely, there's flashes. Kwerkizerki has said earlier in the season last year against Minnesota, Wright had a touchdown that was a laser from Goff through four defenders and he caught it while being hit. He has had his moments, as as Tom rightly says. Let's get back to the game and the final drive of it. 149 left. Wilson sacked early by Romeo Aquara. Carbon copy of the play that Aiden Hutchinson got a late sack in last week. Starts at the left-hand end. Stunts inside through where the centre was just sweeps Wilson up, which is really nice. Uh, third and 19, really nice throw to Garrett Wilson, crossing from left to right. 
That takes them down to Jets 38. The clock runs. So we were at 149 on the start of this drive, but the clock is running. They get down to a minute to go. Second down and 10 conversion to Wilson at the Jets 48. Clock continues to run. They've still got three timeouts. Clock gets down to 30 seconds to go. Wilson is sacked at the 40-yard line of the Jets, so he loses 10 yards there. Really nice play by Kaminsky. Wilson's then incomplete. At this point, they've got two timeouts left and 14 seconds on the clock when they started with almost two full minutes on the clock. If you hated Dan Campbell for his time management, it's it, it can be worse. That's all I will say. Fourth and 18 with 14 seconds to go. Wilson is flushed. Lions bring not quite the house, but almost the house. They're bringing six on this play, I think, on fourth and 18. Bit too aggressive, my liking. I'd like to drop a few more into coverage, but maybe the Lions have gone, hmm, when we've dropped eight into coverage before, Cousins has burnt us on busted coverages or just not quite getting to the right spot. We've not been good throwing deep all day. Let's not let him throw. And I can get kind of get behind that. Kaminsky's in his face. Hutchinson's in his face. And then Anzalone's closing him down. Throws up a hero ball. And Elijah Moore catches it about two yards beyond the field goal line that they have. But because he's working back towards the ball, his momentum takes him about five yards back and then tries to turn up field and goes down about a yard outside of that field goal line range that they have on the graphic. He could have just gone down when he caught the ball. That would have made it a bit easier for Zerline for the game-tying field goal. The other aspect of this is it burnt about three seconds when it didn't need to. He went down with one and a half seconds on the clock, and Salah, it doesn't immediately call timeout. And it's super marginal as to whether they get the timeout in. Now, the referees call a timeout and say that they did it with one second left. Having watched it back twice, I am not convinced that they got the timeout in. If the field goal was good, I would have big issues with how that play was officiated, and I'd have big issues with Elijah Moore either way. Just slide. For God's sake, you give yourself, your kicker, a much better chance, and you know the game is dying. Like, I, I, I can't... I was... I was annoyed on behalf of the Jets for that play, even though they converted it and saved the game in that one play. That gives them a chance from 58. Greg Zerline's career long is 60, so he has done it before. Uh, but his kick is no good wide left. He's definitely got the leg for it. His nickname is The Leg, you know? So like he's able to do it. But the, the Lions win on the basis of missing that field goal. And I mean, just a really strange kind of set of plays there. You've got the Romeo Quara second second uh, sack in there. You've got a sack by Kaminsky. You, we, we were giving him all sorts of problems on the offensive line, and yet they still managed to give themselves a chance to tie the game. Yeah, And in the midst of all of that, you've got the time as well. So, on the timeout, again, I haven't watched it back. Even if it's... If you think about how bad the NFL has been this year with um, delay of games, and not calling those when they run one, two seconds over, for me... Rather than, I basically, I'm fine if it's marginal with the team being able to take a timeout. Obviously, if we lost, it would have been frustrating. But if it is marginal, I'm actually okay in that situation because I think it's almost better for the game. Ultimately, it's an entertainment product. If it is marginal, they get the timeout in. Obviously, if they try and call a timeout and it's been zeros for like a second, then tough shit. You got it wrong. You messed up. So I'm, I'm okay with that. And maybe I'm more okay with it because it didn't impact the outcome. Uh, this play I was not okay with. 
Um, to your point, fourth and 18, I think it's Anzalone gets close to a sack and then he rolls out even further. But when that ball is caught, and again, I only watched it once, it felt like there was no Lions player within three or four yards of when that ball was caught. That cannot happen. You know exactly what is going to happen here. Now, again, you don't know the coverage call, and I would want to watch it back with all 22 to actually see what everyone's doing. But there is only one outcome here. That ball is coming, kind of, it's getting to that point. Wilson is not going to be able to throw it to the end zone, so you don't have to just bail out completely. And the ball came down with snow, right? So in the moment, and maybe this was, again, fandom taking over, I was absolutely livid that this had happened for what felt like the 25th time in that game, that a ball had just been popped up and there wasn't really that much of a challenge on the ball. And that was a consistent thing, right? It was Garrett Wilson going up and making plays and other guys too. But quite often there wasn't even a lion like challenging up for the ball. Yeah, It was Wilson going up and getting it with no one really around him. And it was a similar thing, obviously, with Moore here. So for me, it was just super, super fr- Like, honestly, it was, and again, this it shows how far we've come in the last uh, six weeks, eight weeks. But it's as angry I've been pretty much in the like Campbell era because I expect more out of this team now. And because it meant so much to get this win, like, it really it hit me hard that way. I actually think, so I've watched it twice, but I haven't zeroed in on the play because I did it in a rush just before we came on. What I saw was actually a Lions defense who played it much better than I've seen them play other similar situations. So what they did was the Jets receivers were anticipating Wilson being able to get more mileage on that. So all of their receivers go way upfield and the Lions have enough defenders defending them deep, but also manage to keep defenders on about the 35 yard line, kind of defending that sort of 50 Mm -hmm. yard field goal range, because anything longer than that, I think they're like, we'll give that up. If we have to, we'll give that up. But they are not getting an easy field goal here at the very, very worst. And then when they realize it's a scramble drill and Wilson might not be able to get the yards, you've got Elijah Moore coming back towards the ball at a rate of knots, like he's going full speed the wrong way. And Wilson does underthrow it big time because he's under pressure. Moore anticipates it better than the Lions players do. But if they did anticipate it and Wilson did get more on it, then maybe you give up a, an easier field goal. So I still think the Lions D has play, played it quite well. And then when Moore takes it, his momentum is going so quickly the other way that, and he, he's not thinking about going down at that point, but he should have just slid. Um, but he's kind of taking it like you'd want a Lions DB to defend it in a perfect situation, if you know what I mean, running back towards the ball. So I don't hate it as much as you did. As well as more annoyed for it from a Jets perspective than a Lions perspective was the execution for him was so good and so bad at the same time. Like, should have just done better, but there we go. Hopefully you've got five minutes with me just to go through talking points and themes and stuff, because I know time's a bit limited with what's going on. Cool. Okay, so other stats for the Lions, five for 15 on third down, two for three on fourth, 0 for three in the red zone. Not the situational stuff on offense that we've come to expect from the Lions in recent weeks. Um, But me and Ash talked about this on the stream, on the live stream. If you haven't watched it, do for just the individual moments, because it's it's kind of funny. But the Lions on offense looked anemic, kind of looked a bit same old Lionsy. But actually, I think that was a bit by design. Um, my theory is that they knew that the Jets offense wasn't up to much. And I kind of said they were pinning the Jets back all day, 
not really wanting to risk it too much on offense. The play calls weren't as ambitious as we've seen against other teams who maybe could punish you a bit more on offense. So it looks a bit anemic and it wasn't that exciting a game until late, but I, I don't hate how it happened. It did mean it was going to be a close game almost by design, but how do you feel about what happened? Because lots of empty sets for Goff or like um, they ran one personnel a lot with four wide receivers. It was a bit air raidy from the Lions just trying to give Goff one or two quick reads because I think they were fearing the the Jets' defensive line and, and what they could do against us. And then at the end of the day, we didn't give up a sack. It felt like we were we were playing smart football, maybe not exciting football. Yeah, and in general... When it came to, say, play calling, I didn't have much of a problem with it. I think it was more we just didn't execute. And I know I've said that word a lot of times already today, but it's seeing what we've done over the past month, six weeks, and then you look at the second quarter, third quarter, the offense, it's not even for me a case of going cold. It was just mistakes. It was ball placement wasn't there. It was holds. It was everything just not being quite as clinical as it has been for the, for the past. So for me, it was potentially in the game plan, like you say. that's That Jets defense is legit. And I think you're right. I think it's not like you've got Mahomes the other side of the ball and you have to keep it pretty exotic because you know you're going to have to score 30 to stand a chance. So I don't have an issue with the play calling. The third down numbers, when you kind of look at them like that, 5 for 15 isn't great. Um that just highlights for me it's more execution than anything. Excellent game by the Lions defensive line. Plenty of sacks in this one, plenty of tackles for a loss. They didn't get going at all. Was it two yards a carry in the end for them? Just over two yards a carry. We did basically the same to Saquon earlier. We did it to um, Dalvin Cook. This Lions defensive line is really turning up and in the pass rush and on the run defense, that makes it so hard for a quarterback to get any sort of rhythm. And it means if they keep this up, the lines are going to be a real threat down the stretch. Yeah, absolutely. And with, with Hutchinson coming out in the draft, the whole thing with him, it was, he was plug and play. And I think it's easy to think of that as a fan and be like, Hey, he's going to be like as good as he is in week one or week two, as he's going to be in week 15. And we probably didn't as fans give him enough, credit for he's going to have to still learn the NFL game. And I definitely didn't, I would say. I I certainly didn't think he was a bust. But about a month ago, I put a message in one of our, I think it was in the Discord channel, saying, is it time we have a conversation, not about Hutchinson, the player, but about his pass rush? He wasn't getting home. He wasn't really disruptive. And whilst he was still making plays, I mean, he'd already had the two picks then. He was good in the run game. And so from a grading standpoint, he was still playing well. He was, and this doesn't really work anymore because Sam Hubbard's actually had a really nice year, but he was trending more to that is Aiden Hutchinson, just Sam Hubbard kind of thing. Solid edge, nothing more than that. The last few weeks in particular, he's been so disruptive. So in the run game in, the, in this game, he was fantastic. But he's doing everything now. Um, and he's clearly taken another step on and you're seeing it with his development throughout this entire season. Um, so that the, the D line is completely is a completely different threat, I would say, and no more so than that NASCAR package. So again, during training camp, we heard about this exciting NASCAR package. They used the terminology last year too, but we're going to have these guys lined up. And it's going to be super exciting, and it did buckle for the first like six weeks of the season. Let's be honest. 
loads of guys were injured. I get that, but it just wasn't a threat. And you'd watch teams just run past it. Sorry, not run past it, as in just walk through it, basically. Um, when we had that against Wilson, again, Wilson had a pretty disastrous game. He's not the best quarterback, but that NASCAR package was such a threat. So I think I'm right in saying it would have been Kaminsky, Aquara, Hutch, and uh, James Houston. Uh, they were getting, they were disrupting every time. And they weren't always getting home, but that's impossible to live with. So it's just, it's such a, it's such a different weapon to what we had for the first half of this season. And I think that's going to play dividends. I think this, this line team is built to be more of a front runner than a team that's going to chase, if you just think of our personnel. But if we do get up and teams are having to chase the game, we can send out that NASCAR package. I think any team and any quarterback will struggle against that. And I mean, just imagine that Charles Harris is still to come back and you can put yeah. him on the line as well. I mean, you didn't mention Aline McNeil in there, but in there you you mentioned five guys who all are built to beat one-on-one defense, uh, offensive line uh, matchups. So yeah. anyone can get home out of those guys. It's not like you've got Bugs in there or Brockers who's going to be solid but unspectacular, not that disruptive. Bugs has maybe come on a little bit, but, mm. you know, it's not like they're in that package. So McNeil still, I think, needs to show a little bit more in that. because Not because he's been bad, but I just have such high hopes for him being an absolute game wrecker there. Um, talking about the front seven, and we spoke about it a little bit earlier, but the Anzalone resurgence continues. You, as a captain, tell him, actually, don't worry about anyone else, just focus on your own game. And suddenly he looks like a not a world beater. That's a bit too much credit, but a very, very good linebacker. Yeah, for sure. And and this is where, a bit like what we said at the start with the Jets, the Jets have some real talent and they put a lot of high picks into their defense. But they've also got guys like DJ Reed, who is a bang average NFL player and has been coached up and become a really good one. It's what you're starting to see with guys like Anzalone and others, where people who were weaknesses in the Lions defense are now obviously getting a bit more confident, but the coaches are clearly putting them in a position to succeed. Anzalone is a guy I had frankly given up on. He'd been in the league long enough that I thought, yes, he's got a role in this team as a leader and we do need someone to take snaps um, at the mic, but I'm not expecting anything out of him. I'm expecting the occasional find above average game and then disaster game because he he hasn't shown me he can put it together. The last few weeks has been brilliant. Again, I I don't have his PFF raise off top like in front of me, but I would imagine that they've been pretty solid over the past month or so, um, especially versus earlier in the season and last year where it was almost unwatchable. So massive kudos for him for for stepping up. It has been, I think resurgence is the perfect word for it. It's been a really clear resurgence. It's been brilliant. Yeah, I, th- I think the thing with him is just when he was at the Saints, he was a solid linebacker, but of his four uh, years as a as a rookie, he missed almost two entire seasons. The knock on him when he arrived was, is he going to be able to stay on the field? Now he's done that, and actually we're reaping the rewards of that because you tell a rookie, okay, you're going to play year one and year three and miss out year two, year four. Try telling that to Jeff Akuda, like you know, it's is someone who comes in year three and he's almost a rookie again. Like yeah. that's going to make you stagnate. And what you're seeing from Anzalone is the sort of progression you might expect from a rookie getting into the meat of his of his deal, year two, year three. 
he's coming on really strong. So hopefully that continues because he could be a threat down the stretch. Uh, spoke about no sacks. Uh, run game worries, but Amara and Raymond's kind of replicating a bit of sort of run game type aspects with short passes, slants, that sort of thing. It seemed like we were leaning on them in, in a big way. And despite the fact that the, the wide receivers are all kind of coming back healthy, Raymond continues to have a big part in this offense. Yeah, absolutely. Raymond was impressive. Um, and you could, Amon Ra, especially early in the game, was completely uncoverable. Um, and then it got a little quieter. I think part of that is obviously the offense started to struggle more, but we weren't getting a huge amount from Chark. We weren't getting a huge amount from Reynolds. And someone needed to step up and make a play. And I think Raymond did that, obviously, with the punt return, but he did that in a couple of critical plays on offense too. Um, as has been mentioned many times this year, Source Gardner, absolute stud. I think it showed in today's game and that you didn't see him at all. And if you don't see a quarterback, you know he's doing a hell of a job, right? So um, you need a guy like Raymond to step up, who's not going to go on the outside and go up against Source, but he's going to work the intermediate routes over the middle. And I thought he did really nicely. And just to finish up, two up, two down, we get more game balls and we can dog on people. So who who do you want to big up this week? All right, um, I'm scanning now as I because I like to normally do what um one from each side of the ball. Um, bah, 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 bah. you know what? So I knocked DeAndre Swift because again that play frustrated me so much, and it was all the kind of bad side of Swift. That being said. I thought he had a pretty good game. And I, I can't say that about the last few weeks, to be honest. And I know his production has been better in some of the previous weeks, but he hasn't looked like the same guy. He's been incredibly frustrating to watch and he hasn't done the basics well. Now, he still dropped a ball in this game and it feels like he does have quite a few concentration drops, which is a bit of a shame. He Obviously, there was that run where I would have liked to inside. That being said, if we talk about the rest of the game, the basics he did well, it wasn't the guy we saw a few weeks ago where... He was not willing to make contact and not just using vision to get um, to hit the gaps. So for me, it was it was an improvement. And whilst our run game was by no means electric, it was promising. I think it, if we want to do something in the postseason, if we want to get to the postseason, he needs to play a key role. Um, Jamal Williams has been incredible this year, but we need to. And so to see him just take a step forward for me it was a big thing. Um, so that would be my one up on offense, my one down. Probably DJ Chark. The reason being, he really, he obviously he's been injured this year. And I think he, he'd strung together a couple of really nice weeks recently. Tough matchup. And obviously I'm sure he got a lot of reps versus Source. But he was pretty invisible a lot of the game today, um, of yesterday. And so... For a guy who clearly has got healthy again, has taken steps forward, it was disappointing to see him kind of take two steps back, let's say. So that'd be my my one on, on offense for each. How about you? Uh, I actually don't have anyone on offense I want to shout out in particular. Yeah. Um, not because I defense thought... then? So one up for, well, two up for defense, but I'll, I'll do one and then you can do one. So... I gotta nick him just because I'm wearing the shirt and I've been chatting him out all day. But Romeo, like I-, I said it in the Discord chat, and I-, I might be being a homer here a little bit, but 
I, I, I don't support him because I got his jersey. No one goes out going, oh, I'm going to get a, a cult guy. I'm going to go and get a Romeo Acquara jersey. I think this is the only one in existence. Like when you go onto the website, it's not one of the preset ones. You have to go to the create your own and type in the name, you know, like yeah. I, I, I got the jersey because I was a fan of his. Ant goes on about this a lot. And it's something that I subscribe to almost as much as he does. The mantra of the coaching staff and the the front office team coming in was, we're going to give you a second chance here, but you've got to produce. And if you produce, you will be rewarded by us. Now, Romeo kind of did it before they went in. He did it under the Patricia era. He got that 10-sack season at the back end of Patricia's reign and the start of Dan Campbell's. And that first year when they came in, They had a choice of whether to pay Galladay or Romeo or neither. And neither was very much on the table. Romeo forced his way into that thinking. They couldn't not do it because he was the first guy to get 10 sacks in a season for the Lions in quite some time. People forget quite how good he was in that year. But they also forget that it didn't start in that year. It started in the back four games of the previous season. And it finished with the first four games of the season afterwards before that terrible Achilles injury. He stacked together about 24 exceptional games uh, the, when he went down last season with the Achilles after four games he was first in pressures in the NFL along with Miles Garrett like the guy is terrifically good at football now it's a big contract and I have had to concede as much as anyone else despite the jersey that I'm wearing that if he doesn't come back in this season that cap saving looks attractive if you don't know what you're going to get from him so he had to come back and he had to get some production the fact that he got two sacks and sacks are relative, right? Sacks come and go. Your pressures are the things which really gets you money. He got three pressures on 26 snaps. Bit limited, but green across the board. Good in run defense as well as pressure. I just thought that it was a step up from last week away. He was very, very limited and didn't get much opportunity at all. He's grabbing it by with both hands. And when you have a look at what James Houston is doing on a fraction of the money, he really needs to step up to stay. And I thought he... He put a good start in there. So I, I was really happy with him. One down. Um, I mean, is it harsh to say Akuda? I think it's harsh to say Akuda. It was really disappointing to see what happened. You know, I said I'm, I'm throwing him a bone by saying he's probably still a little bit ill and suffering the effects, but I still wanted more. What about you? One more guy. Um. So we've mentioned Aline McNeil obviously having a good game, so I won't go there. Um... I probably, and I'm so I'm looking down the PFF grades now, and this guy hasn't even graded out that well. John Kaminsky, um, come back from injury. He was signed. I mean, remember, he was cut. We we claimed him, but he was cut from a team. And I believe I'm right in saying he was still with the Falcons when he got cut. Is that right? Oh, where was he? he either was. way, I don't think he was a, a world beater, right? So yeah. he was basically yeah, right. told yeah. by a below average team, if it's the Falcons, then significantly below average roster, that you are not good enough to be in this 53. And he's now playing the majority of snaps on defense with a club for a hand coming back from injury. And he's making a difference. Um, so, yes, Hutch has absolutely taken a step on. James Houston, incredible what he's done since he's got back. Ali McNeil has stepped up. But Kaminsky is a really key part of that. And we will have signed him hoping he could make the 53 and add rotational snaps. 
And on a team that has won six out of seven, which is kind of good to say, um, he is getting starter reps, starter snaps. And I think that's really impressive. And he is doing something with them as well. So really happy from that side. I mean, for for one down, it's really, it's a pick your DB, right? I mean, Will Harris obviously gets a lot of, uh, a lot of negative press, let's say, from fans, and it would be easy to, to lump on him as well. I'd probably go Jerry Jacobs, um, only because I'd probably hold him to slightly higher expectations because I would like him to be a starting cornerback for this team moving forward, and I don't feel that way about Harris. So Akuda absolutely would be up there. Jacobs, similar. Um, it's just disappointing to see the DBs take a step back. And in fact, I'm going to go another. I, I think Kirby. Kirby has really, after that really hot streak, he's fallen off and he's making the kind of mistakes that we expected him to make. But they're getting worse. And that's what's... Maybe it's a, a, a rookie wall thing, I don't know, but it's, it's getting a bit frustrating. Like I say, we, we didn't expect him to be a starter this year. He's done more than I think we probably could have expected this year, given where he was coming out of college. So big picture, not worried at all. But, you know, it's, it's gone a little... It's downward trend. So Kaminsky, he has played 21 more snaps than he ever has done in a, in a year before. He played 399 snaps in 2020. He's played 420 so far this year, including that as 27 more pre, uh, pass rush snaps. So not a huge amount. That's about 10% more than normal. In that year, he got 21 pressures for the Falcons in 2020. He's on 35 this year. So that's a, that's a big step up from him. And in general, he has played two-thirds of his snaps since week 10. He wasn't a starter at all in the first nine weeks of the year, and he's really come on strong at the back end, which only bodes well for the for the next three weeks in the race of the playoffs. 1-0 next three weeks, that's what we need. He's going to be a big part of that. My last guy up is CJ Moore. Deshaun Elliott went out of the game, shoulder injury, no word on that, I don't think, as yet, although there's probably press conferences going on as we speak at the moment. He came in, I fear the worst. They're tearing us up in the past game, and he comes in. Now I'm thinking, right, we'll target him then. But he just shows up, is good in coverage. I don't know whether he gets a pass breakup or not. He had a pressure. A pressure and a tackle, no PBUs. Um, But, you know... Someone that I thought they'd go after, and he was very, very adequate in there. And that's more than I can say for the rest of the DB room, as you rightly say, they didn't have a good day, but he was fine. Um, Can I pick one more down? I mean, you picked one wide receiver who went a bit anonymous, and Josh Reynolds was another one. He was on the field for 40 snaps, and I'm not sure he got a catch. It was just one of those that really suffered because of how good the DBs are for the Jets. So it's not, it's, it's a down, but it's not even really a down. It wasn't really part of the game that we were trying to force her. They were really there to try and reduce the number of people in the box so we could run the ball, and we didn't do that very well either. So, But that wasn't his fault. And it was rightly pointed out in the chat that he was one of the guys throwing a block for Brock Wright to win the game. So he deserves yeah. some props for that too. I feel a bit... Harsh and quirky Zerky has just said that in the chat. I I preempted you, <laughs> sir. So there we go. Um, anything else that you want to bring up as we finish up here? I I don't want to end things on a negative note, but I feel like let's just have a quick, very quick conversation about Jared Goff. Very quick conversation. Okay. All right. Let's do I this. Know, 
I'm, I'm slightly, I'm not going to look at any comments or things that come in because I think people will, will rightfully be protective. One of the best things about Lions fans is how much they are protective of their players. Mm-hmm. If, if you could say, do you think Jared Goff in this game played below average or above average? And there is no sitting on the fence. If you had to go one way or the other. I really like sitting on the fence at this point. Um, <laughs> below average. Yeah, I'd say he probably was as well. Coming into the game, knowing the Jets' defense and the fact it was away, etc., were you expect were you expecting him to play above average? As in, were you disappointed, or was it kind of what you were expecting? And it, it's not a trap question, I promise. No, no, no. I, I think I'm probably with you. I, I thought. In the games previous to this, given the history he had shown, in the games previous to this, I had expected a great deal from him, and he absolutely delivered on that. In this game, I thought the range of possibilities was much wider. He could continue to have a really good game, but the chance of him having a worse game than than the average he's shown in the last six weeks was much higher because of who he was facing and where he was facing them. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. And then the, fi- the final bit. So have we got the Panthers this week? Yeah. Am I right to say? Panthers away. One of the uh, worst. Pan- Panthers at home, I think. Is it at home? I so I think. Are we, are we hang on? Is it Bears at home? Or I thought it was away. Oh, actually, you know, you're probably right. You're probably right. You're probably. I'm. Right. Re- I'm, I'm really not sure, but that could completely ruin uh, what I'm going to say. So, I, I thought we were away three times in the last four, yes, but maybe the home game. It's the, it's the Bears which were at home because we played at Soldier Field. There we go. Right. Yeah. Beg your pardon. Okay. Um, so Panthers. One of the worst rosters in the league. Not necessarily one of the worst defences. One of the worst rosters in the league. Are you expecting an above average or a below average Jared Goff performance this week? So I think this is the hardest game of the three coming. Um, And I really thought that Carolina would win this division the way they've been playing the last few weeks. Yesterday, notwithstanding. Because I don't think they were great. Well, Donald showed some good things. Um, We'll get on to that later on this week. Um, I love the Carolina defense. And so I am expecting about the same from yeah. Goff as what we just saw in the Jets game. Okay. And I'll be honest, that's where I'm at. And this, is, I, I want to, because I had quite a lot of discussions with various people over the past couple of weeks. And I want to make it very clear. I'm not a Jared Goff hater. If anything, uh, especially him as a, as a person, I thought he was a classic California, doesn't really care about anything guy when he joined the Lions. What he's shown in terms of, and they said this when we were losing, when we were 0-8 last year, what he's done in the community, all kinds of things, he's clearly an absolute legend. Lots of time for Jared Goff. I still believe we haven't, and I know you, you disagree slightly with this, I don't think we've seen new data really on Jared Goff since he's been in Detroit. Now, he's definitely played better and worse at different times, but I'm not worried about him even playing against a 10-2 and Vikings team inside, at home, with confidence. Um, kudos to him for playing really nicely in those games and in other games during the season. It's these kind of games. It's, it's the Jets. It's the Panthers. And to be honest, it's the Packers. They are the games where I'm like, we should win all of those. But I don't have huge expectations for him specifically during them. And I'm worried that he might cost us one of the three games. 
Now, he didn't cost us, like I say, you can always say, oh, if, if, if we weren't playing Zach Wilson, we probably would have lost that game. Yeah, fair enough. But as we discussed, you probably have a different game plan if you're not. So it is too many variables. Did Goff potentially almost lose us that game yesterday? No, I don't think he did. I just think he didn't play that great. I'm really intrigued this week, and especially against the Viking, uh, against the Packers, sorry, uh, what we're going to see. Because I would love him to show in one of these games, really show out and kind of and put something on paper. Because that that's my biggest thing with him is it's those away games when it's cold, when it's outside against potentially good defense, and when it matters, that's what I just want to see. I think what I really took away from what you're saying is when we get the seven seed facing the number two seed in San Francisco, that we're dead. Because that's the sort of game that we're really going to struggle in is, is against someone like San Francisco, like who actually has a really good offense to match that really good defense because the Packers do not have a good offense. And to try yeah. to call this in preseason, but when you have no wide receivers of note, things don't go well for you. And even though they found a wide receiver now in Christian Watson, it's still very limited. Like, just try and take him out of the game. But Rogers has got nothing. Doesn't look that bothers. Like, yeah. well, I'm not worrying about that game just as much as I wasn't really worrying about the Jets game. Yeah, that defense is good. But actually, is it, though? Because the defense hasn't been that good for Green Bay all the way through. And the problem is that the offense hasn't been keeping them off the field. The yeah. complementary football's gone for, for Green Bay, and they're starting to improve through the season, and they're not mathematically eliminated, but they soon will be, hopefully. Yeah. So, and, and I think that game's less about the Packers' defence. It's more about what hopefully we'll be riding on that game. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, even if we drop one of Panthers or Bears, which hopefully we're not going to, but there's a very, very good chance that Packers' game is going to mean something, and we're going to need a win. And it'll be a really interesting test. And like I say, with the Niners, I think that's tough for anyone to go. Actually, with it being warmer climate, I'm potentially slightly less worried versus for Goff. It's more those kind of outdoor cold climate games um, that I'm more concerned about. And like I yeah. say, it's not it's not a hating thing on Goff. And I'm I'm not saying I'm definitely not saying oh we should absolutely draft whoever's sitting there with our first pick. For the record, I don't think the Rams. I think the Rams pick is going to be at the back of the top ten, maybe even like. Outside the top 10, I think they could easily really? get two more wins. I think they might get to six. And even if they get to five, there's enough teams around that. Anyway, whole different story. <laughs> I think Jared Goff has, has shown enough that he deserves the chance next year, it, unless you're really sold on whoever the guy is. Like I say, Brad Holmes loves CJ Stroud or whoever, great, go get him. I don't personally, but that's fine. Um, I just don't think Goff has shown us that much different this year. And that's why I get frustrated, not frustrated. That's why I get surprised when I see the 70% pride of Detroit uh, for a quarter of the way through the season saying he's the future. Then it went down to 14% and then it's up at 70% again. I just don't understand why we're seeing so much variance when really I think we all know roughly who Jared Goff is. And I don't personally think we've seen anything to take us off that, which also doesn't mean he's disastrous and it doesn't mean he's the future Joe Montana either. So. I think the thing very like politician in that I didn't really make a big commitment there and I just kind of talked around it. But it's more I I I was expecting this kind of performance, I guess, versus the Jets is, is what I was what I was saying. Last year we saw from Jared Goff, he turned the corner after a late bye and had a really good stretch of games, then regressed at the start of this season, had one good game against Washington, but apart from that, regressed again. 
and now has brought it back again. But his peak in this season has been higher than his peak at the end of last year. His peak this season, for me, is near peak Rams Goff, which is something that we were all saying when he brought him on board. Can he recapture that form? Because if he can, then you have a decision. The fact that we have, for me, seen near peak Rams Goff in perfect conditions, but with a team that you could potentially return everyone, give him the same conditions. Like we said in DVOA, you take the whole of the season and we're ninth overall, but we're playing like we are now and we started really badly. So we're better than that in terms of how we're playing right now. In fact, the team is probably there for about a top five team on form. And if Goff can carry on with that, I think with his deal and the quarterbacks coming out, even Trevor Lawrence coming out probably wouldn't play as well as Goff has done this season with a completely new offense, new coordinators, what have you. Even if you have a consensus number one overall pick prospect at quarterback, Goff probably provides you a higher ceiling and higher floor for right now. And for that reason, with a reasonable quarterback deal, he will be the starter next year. And I just don't see any way around that. Now, if you take a guy you probably sit in behind Goff. And I hate that eventuality because if the, if the Lions are going to play at a top five level, at least for some stretch of the season, a deep postseason run should be something you're thinking about. And wasting a pick on a high-level quarterback is wasting a weapon on defense or offense that you could use to actually make a run. Now, I'm not saying that the Lions are going to make a run. I'm just saying if you want to make a run, wasting a pick on a quarterback who's not going to play is not smart. So for all of those reasons... I think trade down if someone wants a quarterback is going to happen. And if the Rams pick is high enough, a defensive weapon is coming. That That's just where I see it going. Because I think maybe you're right that Goff hasn't shown us anything we didn't see last year in terms of he shows some high levels as well as low. But that high is kind of just about enough to keep him sticking around in the sort of politician's way that you sort of said. You've, yeah. you've seen enough to not be out on him entirely. And the deal is palatable. Yeah, I agree. And... I mean, I'm looking at the outdoor cold NFC teams and realistically the only one who's a threat in the um, in the playoffs this year is the Eagles because the other teams like the Bears, Packers, Seahawks, if we're there, Panthers, etc., they're not getting there. So it, it's, there aren't that many scary away games, I don't think, that are in the kind of NFC playoffs as such, which is fine. Um but yeah, it's something, and that that runs on to even Bryce Young, who I think looks like a really nice player. Is Bryce Young built to play in the NFC North and go kind of to the was it Lincoln Lincoln Memorial? Is that the Eagles Stadium? I can't remember. But yeah, um, that sounds right. Yeah. Um, like, I will it, say I think um, Bryce Young probably is built for that. Okay. Uh, he took an absolute pounding uh, in several games that I've seen. Oh, yeah, he, yeah. he stands up to punishment. Sorry, I don't not, think not, not from a not from a toughness standpoint. I'm talking more. I think I think the size concerns with something like that. And again, we've got months to talk about this in future. People do think about it more from a can he stay on the field standpoint. I'm thinking more like Josh Allen in Buffalo is a weapon because he can run over people, he's got an absolute gun arm, etc. And so when it's snowing, you're not worried about it, right? Am I worried about it if it's cold December, January playoff football and I'm Bryce Young and I'm 5'10", 180? Maybe. I don't know. And I haven't watched that much of his... I haven't dug into his film, but yeah. 
Anyway, I, I almost hate myself for saying this because, like you say, we've got a long time to speak about this. I do really feel like if Bryce is on the table, that I would like the other first round pick to be Bijan Robinson. Because okay. I think the tandem would work really nicely, like back him up within an elite running back prospect. I hate taking a running back in the first, but that kind of feels like a match. Please don't do that. I don't want that. But like, <laughs> it would be kind of borderline very exciting. Um. Anyway, any last thoughts on the Jets game or Lions going forward for the rest of the season or shall we get out of dodge? Uh, only thing being, isn't it just wonderful that we win those kind of games now? And like, so against the Vikings, I think Campbell came out and said, we made a few mistakes, et cetera, but we were the better team. I, we didn't play very well yesterday, I don't think, and we still won against a good defense. And that that is brand new lines right there. I thought we played great in the front seven, and that's that's the biggest takeaway I can have because that's sustainable. Yeah. That's the sort of thing that might not change down the stretch. And if we can put quarterbacks under pressure, if we can actually contain Justin Fields, then maybe we've got a chance for this. 1-0 times 3. That's what we've got coming. And our next episode is going to be this coming Thursday, December 22nd, if I've got my ass right, uh, at Carolina Preview Show. As I said before, no Cottage Pod this week. Last week, the guys talked about the Heisman and the Bowl Pick'em. Uh, bowl games going on at the moment. Some really exciting stuff like Frank Gore Jr. getting a bowl game record. 21 carries for over 300 yards on the ground. Absolutely exceptional. Some really exciting stuff happening in the college game. Go and listen to the guys on that one. It's Ant's birthday on Wednesday. That's why they're not doing it. They'll be back next week. If you want to research on any prospects from them, give us a message. Contact details on Twitch or our email address is on YouTube. And someone actually messaged us on our email address via YouTube to ask where they can watch the Panthers game because they're coming over to London for the holidays. So I thought that was really cool. If you have any questions like that, just feel free to get in touch. I will get back to you. Um, anyway, those socials where you can get in contact with us as well. Royal Lions UK on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The group for worldwide fans, Detroit Lions fans, UK One Pride Worldwide. That was run by our own Ryan Farden. The preview articles from Ashley Soden are on RoyalLionsUK.com. Please rate and review and subscribe and like and comment and all that good stuff that you know really helps us out. Quirky Zerky says, give our best wishes to Ant for his birthday. I will do. Uh, in the chat, hang on a bit as we just sign off for the show. My thanks to Tom for backing me up here and being a guy who's actually watched it and has come on the show. Really appreciate you. And it's, it's been good to see you for the first time in, in a couple of weeks. And I hope you have a good Christmas, man. And uh, oh, fingers crossed for our lines to to do this across the holiday season absolutely merry christmas to all lions fans happy holidays uh what what a gift meaningful football in december couldn't have asked for anything more a win for the lions and a loss elsewhere will mean the seven seed on christmas day and with that let's go lions one pride one pride